Hi Chinyamaji family. This week on our Old Patagodi series, we bring you a very special feature. We hosted Dr. Thomas Kirengo, a medical doctor turned entrepreneur who founded Imara Mediplus Hospital in Meru after seeing a gap in the medical field. He saw a problem, sought a solution and created the solution. Enjoy the podcast. Hello everybody. This is Mark Karaki, uh, Impact Africa Network, Chini Imagine Podcast. Excited to um, be doing another podcast session here and super excited about our guest this week. Uh, another founder session here. Uh, this week we have actually a medical doctor founder. So it's a bit different and, and kind of uh, exciting for me because, you know, uh, we, we're in a world where entrepreneurship is kind of, you know, taking over all, mm-hmm. all segments and, you know, Dr. Thomas Kirango is our guest today, and uh, he's one of those individuals who, from the first time we met, I just felt really good about, about you and what you're doing. Um, so you're a medical doctor, founder of a uh, healthcare startup, I guess I'll call it. Yes. And you'll talk a little bit about exactly what you do and where you're taking that. Okay. Um, but yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are and a little bit about your background, and we'll take it from there. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me over. In the mic is um, Oh, yeah. So, uh, like I said, I'm a medical doctor, um, co-founder of Imara Mediplus Hospital, which is a healthcare startup located in Embu. So, first question usually why uh, most people ask is, <laughs> why Embu? <laughs> yeah, so the business itself has been there for three and uh, three years, nine months. So, it's all like a baby. You know how babies, you know, three years, nine months two weeks. Yeah, so it's three years, nine months, two weeks to be exact. <laughs> you know it to, to the <laughs> I, hour. I know it to the hour. Yeah, and the reason we started out in Embu is after I finished med school, we were doing our internship in Embu, me and a couple of my friends. And so while we're there doing it, none of us, by the way, is from Embu. While we're doing our internship in Embu, we just start to notice the healthcare gaps that exist. So we're getting a lot of patients who are coming into hospital, either misdiagnosed, mismanaged or referred to hospital really late and um, so we started just asking ourselves why is this happening what what is going wrong in the healthcare ecosystem in Embu and um, doing some research we got to find out uh, found out that of the healthcare institutions available at that time um, largely what people could afford was this smaller private healthcare clinics that are run either by nurses or clinical officers. But what was happening is either they don't have the capacity to um, diagnose some of these conditions or they just don't send the patients over to hospital early enough. Yeah, And the hospitals that actually do have the capacity, we had an Aga Khan outreach hospital there, um, it's a bit out of the reach of the local Monanchi in terms of how much do they pay for it. So from a cost standpoint, it was, was not within their the, affordability zone. Exactly. So what we decided to do is, why don't we come up with something that provides the same quality of care to Nairobi Hospital, for example, in Embo, so it's convenient for the people there and within their affordability. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea of Imara was born and that's how we started out. Yeah. Interesting, because most doctors are not by definition, entrepreneurs, right? I'm sure, sure that's changing, but I'm, sure. just, I'm generalizing here, but if you look at the percentages of, I guess the first question I would ask you is, how many, is that true? 
even? Um, Would you say that's true or is it changing? What's, what's, what's Doctors are generally very conservative in what we consider as entrepreneurship. So the typical Kenyan doctor entrepreneur is um, you finish med school, you go to internship, you finish that, go do your specialization, mm -hmm. and you open up a clinical practice doctor so-and-so specialist in ABCD. Mm -hmm. And that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. However, all that does is that um, you're getting to see patients in um, a clinic somewhere, but you're still employed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And doctors never give up their primary employment. Mm -hmm. So it sort of becomes just a side hustle that remains a side hustle forever. Forever. Yeah, forever. yeah that's a model that's been there. That's a model that exists. Right. So when the doctor themselves want to transition out or retiring, the practice just generally just dies out. Mm. So we're not building sustainable ah, businesses. Wow, okay. It's just a brand of Dr. Mark. Right. And that's it. Right. Okay. Yes, that's actually very true. Because uh, I remember, you know, being a kid, mm -hmm. doctors were their name. Like healthcare yeah. was a doctor, basically. Exactly. Their name, right? exactly. And so I guess is is there like a, a, a change in the in the trends of more folks, doctors, mm -hmm. making that move? Or are it's you guys very, very much pioneers in this? There's very little change that's happening. Um, what's happening currently in the healthcare space is that doctors are getting together more. Instead of having an independent practice, it's Dr. Mark. Now it's more of a partnership of a couple of people with a variety of specialities, mm -hmm. which helps. Mm -hmm. But still, there's a lot of security in what people are doing. There's a lot of risk averseness. Mm -hmm. So still, most doctors do this kind of practices as a side job. Wow. So they still. People. So so you said they still attached to a main hospital. Yes. And then they have a side hustle, but now yeah. they're scaling that through partnerships. Yes. With other doctors. With other doctors. And the value of that is. The value know, of that is that they're able for to, them specifically. They're able to provide like a variety of services. One. Okay. You don't need to be there all the time because now you have somebody else. Like if you have office hours and you're working somewhere else in the morning, then maybe you have somebody else who's working somewhere else in the afternoon in the free of the morning. So the office hours are better utilized. Yeah, so that's what it's helping with. But in terms of scalability, it's still questionable because it's still dependent on um, those particular group partners. Right, yeah. right, makes sense. So I guess maybe you've just answered the question, why Ambu, right? It was just, yeah. that's where you are and that's where the gap was. Yes. And you just planted the flag. Yeah, so um, it was me and four of my partners. Um, I managed to convince them that there is a gap here, there's something we can do and we can make an impact in society and probably also make something out of it, right? right. Um, yeah, and still the question then was, why, why don't we wait to come back to Nairobi and do this? Right, right. You, why are they all Nairobi types? All of us are from Nairobi. Okay. Yeah, and we've just gone to Embu for essentially what was supposed to be one year of internship. <laughs> but I've been in so you're gritting your teeth through the whole process? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you come to Nairobi every other weekend, you'll be in Nairobi. Yeah, it hits Friday, 5 p.m. Like, when Let's is the next class Nairobi? Yeah. <laughs> But what you realize is that opportunity isn't always in Nairobi mm -hmm. and you just need to start where you are. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. Mm -hmm. Like this is where the opportunity is. Mm -hmm. Let's just start here. Mm -hmm. Less competition. You can prove validity of your business model or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And if you need to come back to Nairobi, you can come back when you're in a better standing. You build a brand, build a name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, so how much convincing do this take to kind of 
get four other Nairobi Nairobi heads <laughs> to, to agree to kind of do something in Embu. Um, what, what, what? Yeah, I mean, how much convincing did it take, and what was? Did you tell them it would be a temporary thing? Because you're, you're almost characterizing, like, yeah, let's just do this thing and it'll help us build our brand going forward. <laughs> Admittedly, like, how it started out was pretty much like how I talked about all other doctors. So, um, what the intention was at the start is to build a practice where we can practice part-time, where we're not working um, at the hospital where we're employed. Right. So, that's how we had... In intended okay. for the practice to be right. but it ended up evolving into something else being its own business and independent of us so right now it doesn't matter whether I'm there or no one even knows um, who's, behind, who's it. behind it so it's, it's, it's a legitimate it's, hospital it's right? a re legitimate hospital by its own brand can stand alone Himara Medi Plus, that's Himara awesome. Medi Plus. and so three three years nine months is that right yes okay and wow that's that's quite impressive in terms of being able to go from a fledgling group of doctors mm -hmm. doing almost what you decided was a side hustle thing. So yeah. fully fledged, because I, you know, I visited you. I think maybe within the last two three weeks. Yes. Stop by, yeah, yeah. and honestly, I did not expect mm -hmm. what I found. Uh -huh. And you guys are doing an amazing. You have an amazing setup, right? I yeah. Mean, it's Thank fully you. integrated and very professional. Mm -hmm. It basically felt like, like you said, you know, um, I guess our flagship hospital here is Nairobi Hospital and, and the yeah. likes. I couldn't tell the difference, right? The feeling, the professionalism, mm -hmm. the inter the, just the whole kind of setup. Mm -hmm. In three years, nine months, that's impressive. So mm -hmm. maybe you talk a little bit about going from that fledgling group to where you are today. If you could just talk about that journey. How, okay. What were the maybe trigger points? Uh, talk, talk to us about how you got to where you are. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's been a challenging journey. I'm sure. So let me <laughs> talk about how how it started. So it started with an idea, like you see there's a need. And from the need, uh, we came up with the idea that um, probably we can start a medical center that can be able to fill that gap. Next thing was, who do I start with? I don't have the money. So got together um, a group of my friends. We, we'd been friends for a very long time, mm -hmm. so I was lucky. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to convince them. Mm -hmm. However, getting the money was not easy because mm -hmm. we had this capital um, healthcare is very capital intensive. Definitely. Yeah. So we need to raise. And maybe that's why doctors don't necessarily venture into like true, something true, more structured. What happens with most doctors is they don't have um, the luck that I did to have a group of friends who you're with in one place and um, all you guys have a similar vision. So you'd probably be like the only one there who sees that there's an opportunity and want to put in the money and you're unable to find anybody else to put in money with you. So that's how come, that's part of the challenges why doctors end up um, tied to um, our main hospital and having a practice or a side practice. Finding similar people is, is a difficulty. So luckily I was able to find guys who were willing to take the risk as well. So um, our first year we just tried to raise the funding. Mm -hmm. So the whole year, we were initially employed as interns. So no bank would give us a loan with um, a contract that says you're temporary, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we spent one year trying to convert from being in temporary employment to a permanent employment so we could access um, a loan from the bank. So finally a year... But, but wouldn't banks need some kind of... Um 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Some kind of shorty or some kind of... Um, they actually just can go with a letter from your employer saying that you're permanently employed. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so as an individual, that's, that's all what they it would is. need. Okay. Yeah. So you guys are not looking for a significant capital outlay at that point? That's no. Okay. No, it wasn't that huge. Okay. It wasn't that huge. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so we could fund that through just personal loan. So everyone was going to get an equal percentage of the business. So everybody had to contribute a certain amount to the capital. Mm -hmm. So um, it takes us a year to get all these formalities and finally get the loan from the back. We had identified a rental space where we were going to set up. Mm -hmm. So finally, now we go to see the landlord. Um, to this get is one year into the, into the project. One year into the project. Are you already operating? Kind no, of like nothing. Nothing, nothing. You have no. Zero. No. Okay. You just have the money in the bank. Got it. And an idea, and now we want to get the space to start the construction mm. and start mm. the business. Mm. So we go see the landlord. Mm. The landlord. Uh, decides to raise the rents by about 50%. Based on? Based on, he said that the government is introducing new taxes. So therefore, he's passing <laughs> that you, the tax that never heard of. to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now... So it's actually not the government, it was he was, was introducing... He was introducing the tax, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so now, our whole budget is disrupted. Wow. Yeah, because we hadn't budgeted for that. Had you talked about to the landlord prior to using yeah. the money? So yeah, you, yeah. Had a pro you had a budget and a projection. Exactly. We had talked about everything. So we had rental budget. Uh, no lease signed. For obviously. six months, mm. not yet signed. Mm. So it was just verbal. It was just verbal. So on the last day when we now have the money and come and talk about it. Are you serious, dude? Yeah, so we were stranded. We were completely depressed. We were wow. wondering where else are we going to get space. And Embu Town doesn't have a lot of buildings being constructed. Mm -hmm. Like in the past five, six years, probably had maybe two or three buildings constructed. Mm. So um, we were wondering now, what do we do next? Where do we get rental space? Luckily, one of my co-founders was just walking in town and he looks up and he sees a new building that we had never seen <laughs> before. So he sees this new building written to let and he decides to walk in okay, and see yeah. what the building's about. Mm. Walks into the second floor and he finds the landlord there with a the caretaker just talking about the building. And um, he decides to ask him about the space um, and negotiates with him. So he managed to get a rent that was about 25% higher than the other place. So 25% than our initial budget. Okay. The landlord had raised the budget to uh, 150 percent. Yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah. this is now 125, which is lower, yeah. and it was a better location. Right. It was right in the center of the town. It was a better location and lower rent than the new rent that the landlord had introduced. So still, we had to increase our budget. Right. So we negotiated with the landlord. Uh, we were able to seal the deal, sign the lease agreement like two days, and decided to start our construction. Construction itself. Um, took double the budget we had anticipated <laughs> yeah. so so um doing a startup is quite doing a startup is difficult because you don't know these things you don't yeah. right yeah. it took things were only twice as long and more twice exactly as not only did it take exactly that not only did it take twice as much it took twice as long that we had anticipated because you're trying to cut costs right. so you get um like a single contractor who, like it was literally like two people who were building the whole place. So it took twice as long. Right. We hadn't thought about the time value of money at that time. Right. We were just thinking about 
money cut costs, right? In the meantime, you're paying rent. You don't factor that in when you're starting up. You don't think that broadly. So anyways, in the middle of doing this whole thing, we had to get a top up on our loans in order for us to be able to complete the project. And you still not started operations? We still haven't happen. started operations. No money coming in? Yeah. Awesome. So, <laughs> the story of how we started was even, is even funnier. So now once we started... So now you're, what, how, how far are you into the... the so now, um, we started in January, this construction. It was supposed to be done by Feb. Um, in, in two months? Or it was just yeah, like retrofitting? That's what we had thought okay. about. It'll take two months. Uh. Um, everything was done probably around June, end of June, July there. Wow. Yeah, so it took quite a long time. Um, so how we ended up opening is that we weren't even sure that we are done. So one day uh, we have our staff members. By then we had like three staff members. So we had a nurse who's working as the front office person, also working in the pharmacy. <laughs> like everybody does everything. Wearing multiple hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, one, one of my co-founders is there just checking out stuff. And a patient walks in and they're like, are you guys open? <laughs> we have not even opened. Like our plan was to open maybe uh, two days later. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we're open. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> Let me get my stethoscope on there. You so working around? Around. Is this thing on? <laughs> <laughs> Getting stethoscopes, realizing you don't have gloves. Somebody's <laughs> running down to a pharmacy to buy gloves. So it was classic. It was hectic, right? Um, another patient comes in, they're like, do you guys have a dentist? We just bought a dental chair, but we didn't have a dentist. So we bought a dental chair. Uh, the patient's like, do you have a dentist? They're like, yes, we have a dentist. So why do you have a dental chair? We have a dental chair because um, we wanted to do dental services. Ah, okay. But none of us was a dentist. <laughs> but we knew some dentists. Okay. So when this patient comes in, you see there's demand for dental services at that point. We call the dentist and we know the only dentist we know. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm in town. Okay, come over. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes over, um, sees the patients. And that day we saw, I think, eight patients. Day one. Day one. Day one. Wow. Talk about product market fit. Yeah, product, perfect product market fit. But that was the highest number of patients we saw for the rest of the month. <laughs> What is this? This is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? I have no idea. We just had what I call beginner's luck. Okay. Luck. Beginner's luck. So it's day weird. one, which was not even meant to be day so one. So you can be like, I'm so curious about that because. I'm always curious about why things play out the way they do, right? Mm. St stats, uh, you know, like. I'm curious. Do you have any sense right now looking back why that might have been the case? No idea. No idea. Okay. Looking back, mm. I have no idea. Because the rest of the day is we were seeing a maximum of about four patients okay. for that first month. Okay. Essentially, it was like one, two guys, and you sit there the whole day Damn. just chilling. Twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. But right now, we're seeing about 60 to 80 patients. I so see. Yeah. Wow. So the numbers are, they've come up. So, so what changed? It's just people behave. People, be, I mean, people need to ask what's there. Knowing about the hospital. Yeah. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. Um, largely are attributed to our mouth. Yeah, that's how people find right hospitals now. Yeah. Hospitals don't do a lot of marketing, basically. I, they, I can't think of. Yeah, they don't do a lot of direct marketing. Right. Yeah, we just do indirect stuff like coming, talking about healthcare, um, cancer prevention, 
hypertension, things like that. We don't directly market that. Um, come to us, we have the best services or anybody else who's ever treated you. Yeah. Do you think that's, that's interesting? And, and that might just be the case because you know, you have a, almost a captive audience now. It's, it's a geographically driven business, right? True. You, True. you occupy a certain space and True. that's pretty much your market. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, if, if you might just move it closer in case. You might, you might sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying now you're, you're open, you're seeing any patients, do you see four patients a day? Yeah. And this is in your second year? Of the this, year? this was still the fact that that was the first month okay. of, and slowly by the end of six months, we were seeing about about 20 patients per day, okay. 15 to 20 patients per day. So the first six months, um, since we're seeing such few numbers of patients and we had gone for additional financing in order to be able to um, complete our construction, we didn't have any money, mm. we didn't have any working capital. Mm. So now what needed to happen is that at the end of every month when we pay the salary, our salary, we take out about 50% of that and we all contribute back to the business for the business to be able to have working capital. So we did that for about the first... So basically, you, you got a 50% pay cut? We got a 50% pay cut on top of paying a loan. So you have your cut from paying a loan. Okay. And then you have another cut from what you're contributing to the business for working capital. Wow. So essentially, for the first six time. months, <laughs> it was very almost every night. Like, <laughs> Literally every night, I, I don't even Survival. think, there was no, I didn't even eat lunch. And the Gideri used to take rounds, so one of my friends would cook Gideri today, I would cook tomorrow, and somebody the other day did that for five days, all around, for six months. Yeah, wow. Until other businesses were able to break even and pay for its own expenses. Congrats, man. And then, so, I mean, why there are points when you're going through this where you're thinking, man, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? Did you have moments of doubt? Definitely. Well, because even before this started, like I still had like a part-time job somewhere mm-hmm. that I was doing and I was getting paid for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I have to stop that part-time job because I have to focus on the business. So less revenue. On top of that, I'm getting money cut out from loans and now from contributing. And all the, and I don't have any free time as well. So all this time I'm thinking, is this a wise decision? Your quality of life just <laughs> My quality of life just went down. <laughs> Don't even have time to come to Nairobi anymore. That ended. So all this time I was thinking, is this really the wisest thing to have done? And I'm seeing my friends, other doctors, their lives are continuing. Guys are going back to school, guys are getting paid more than me. And yeah, you kind of reflect and think that maybe you should have done something else. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, you should have stayed employed. Stay employed. All right, so now, so now, okay, six months into the operations, things mm-hmm. start to take up? Six months into it, things start to take up. So patient numbers increase. Um, part of the reason we had low patient numbers is because we needed to have insurances. You need to get accreditation by insurances. Mm. So the customer pool we're seeing was a lot smaller. Okay. So the longer we were there, we started getting accreditation by insurances and later on now we have more access so if you come into the insurance card you can be seen right so that really helps before it was a cash walk in before it was just cash okay walk in pay cash and leave definitely not too many people can do that yeah i can do that interesting so obviously there's a there's a constraint in terms of being able to stand up 
a healthcare or a, a clinical hospital, whatever, mm -hmm. based on that accreditation. Is it yes. an accreditation? It's an accreditation, yes. Okay. Yeah. So is is looking back, would you have done things a little different to kind of minimize that that uh, crimp in I mean to to get the accreditation faster? Would you have was yeah, there a process to, to, to make there, it? There was a process. Like um, we had to come and talk to like the guys who do accreditation. So we come to like UAP trans, you have to talk to the accreditation manager and they tell you that they do accreditation usually at the start of the year. So like January. Oh, wow. And if you miss it, you have to wait till the next year. So wow. these are things that we didn't have visibility on. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have that information because we hadn't really thought about it. We just thought you start Tell the insurance you started. So, hey, we're here. Yeah, you're here. Send yeah. us some patients. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so those are some of the things we hadn't really thought about. Mm. So later on, we started to realize these mm. things. So this is um, when you're thinking about creating access, you only think about location and being convenient and maybe creating access in terms of being affordable. So you think about front office, customer facing exactly elements. But there's a lot of the things behind office. that. Yeah, because yeah, access is. How do they pay? They don't just pay by cash, some of them pay by insurance. If you don't have the insurance accreditation, then you don't have access to that client. Right. We the have whole segment of the market is not, a huge not accessible. That currently forms 80% of our market. Pretty much, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty much all along. So that explains your first six months, in yes. a sense? Yes, right? Kinda. yes. Um, and so at least you had a very clear understanding of why you had four patients a day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was something that, yeah, if we fix this, then... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the amount of time it took to fix that was also a challenge because mm -hmm. all the insurances are in Nairobi, mm -hmm. and Boom. So you have to travel to Nairobi to come talk to these guys, um, convince them why they should add you to their panel, and they're telling you, um, no, we don't want our patients coming there, they can go to this other hospital. It's fine. We don't need you. So you have to tell them that this is a value for your clients. We're charging a lot lower than wherever else they're getting healthcare from. So this is a value for you. And you have to use So then you have to build a business case for them at yes. the end of the day. Show yes. me the money. Show me the money. Build a business case for them. And now the challenge is that they're just a channel. So on top of building a business case for them and marketing to them, you still have to market to the client. You still have to get the client inside the door. So you have to balance all this. Like that's when you realize it's a value chain. So value chain started to make sense. In healthcare. Well, in healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> That's and so later on, it began to make even more sense. Because, so this is what happened. We get insurances in. Insurances are 80% of our business. However, it's credit business. So most contracts are they pay you in 60 to 90 days. Wow. So initially what used to happen is you'd come in, for example, uh, we invoice you, fill a claim form, keep the claim forms in our closet somewhere and after the end of the month is when we send them out to Nairobi. Mm -hmm. So you just used to bulk send them out mm -hmm. to every insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, and wait now for the 90 days to okay. get paid. So we chill, wait. Three months later, we realized we haven't got any payment and we're wondering, how come we haven't got any payment? So we come down to Nairobi to different insurances and they're asking how you come... You guys come from Nairobi, fan out to the different insurances. Fan out to different insurances and they're asking how come we haven't been paid. And the guys are like, um, do you guys have a delivery note for the invoices you sent? Like, uh, delivery note? No, we do not. <laughs> okay, do you have a reconciliation or a summary of the invoices you sent? 
I'm like, no, we don't. Oh my God. So those guys are like, okay, this is what you need to do. Some of these claim forms are lost completely. So get new claim forms, get the invoices, do a summary of the invoices, and let's reconcile. So with that, we lost a lot of money at the start because there's some things just... Just the back-end operations were just... Uh, They're non-existent. Non-existent, yeah. We didn't even have an accountant. Right. So we're doing these things ourselves. <laughs> so you had to struggle with that, figure that out, <clears throat> and realize that there's some formality that you need to have and not just send invoices out and expect <laughs> to get paid. <laughs> yeah, so it was an expensive lesson. Right, yeah. right. Wow, okay. So all this time, you, you're relying on the funding sources, the loans that you took out yep. initially. Yeah. And now it sounds like that couldn't have lasted too long because you have to do the construction mm-hmm. and then operating capital. Mm-hmm. And okay, so what was the other sources of funding that you had? Did you have, did you access other sources of funding during this time? Um, so what happened at this point is the source of funding we had, I'd say, is um, soil capital, because for us as the doctors, we're not getting paid mm-hmm. for all this work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So the money that we make goes to pay everybody else, pay suppliers employees, uh, pay the lights rent, mm-hmm. and that is what kept us going, because mm-hmm. we were not drawing a salary from the business. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, now once we figured out the insurance and everything else, now we're able to get more money in. Got it. But, sweat. Sweat equity. Sweat equity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Alright, and then so, <clears throat> this is now, I think we're six months into this now, mm-hmm. you're, you're working through all these kind of like, you know, being hit on all sides and you're kind of figuring it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you? When did things start to kind of get into a more normal, sustainable cadence where you could, you know, in terms of your narrative? I'd say about two years in. Okay. About two years in is when um, now the business was able to pretty much start paying for nearly everything. Okay, break even. Right? Break even. Um, now even the doctors working there. If I work there as a doctor, I'm able to get paid for the job that I'm doing and essentially what we did was just hire other doctors mm-hmm. so that we do more management work. Okay. Right? But that was two years in. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at about the same time two years in, mm-hmm. um, we got into now the, there's a program at Stanford called Stanford C program, mm-hmm. yeah, which basically also still helps um, small to medium sized businesses um, build their structures mm-hmm. in order to become sustainable and scalable businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge experience for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that last year. Okay. So at that time, we were um, just getting into about two years and some mm-hmm. when we got into the program. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to look at what is our mission, what is our vision, do we have an organizational structure, um, how sustainable is it for us to be doing medical work and still managing the business. Mm-hmm. Do you need to separate this? Mm-hmm. Do you need to delegate a bit more? Um, so just professionalize professionalizing the whole operation. The whole thing. Top, yeah. top to bottom. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And so let's talk about fundraising, right? So mm-hmm. have you raised any outside capital at all or has it been operational kind of capital that's been so um, currently we have two projects that we're doing we want to achieve probably in the next year or year and a half that one of them is we want to build a hospital. Um, initially, the approach we had taken is to get external equity funding. First, we had very little knowledge on um, what type of funding do you need as an SME or just as an organization. Mm-hmm. So we were just thinking, 
equity is the one thing we've always known because we always fundraised ourselves despite having personal loans and business didn't have any loans. Mm-hmm. Right? So that seemed like the obvious thing to do, mm-hmm. but we hadn't thought about it clearly. So what we do is we build out pitches and we go out to events mm-hmm. and just tell them about our business, this is what we're doing, this is what we're going to achieve, mm-hmm. this is what you'll get back. Mm-hmm. And a couple of people listen and approach us, but what they're asking for in return, because we were asking for a lot of money, mm-hmm. so what they're asking for in return is basically on to stick with the business. Mm-hmm. And that's control. why we had control. Mm-hmm. That's why we had to pause and say, are we really ready for an external equity partner? Because we want to lose control. And from our projections and everything, we were seeing that in about um, two to three years, whatever amount they've put in would clearly be able to get that money from the business itself. Mm. So equity, what had initially seemed as the cheapest form of funding because we really didn't have to pay anything every month, mm. now started to seem more expensive. Yeah. Over the long term, it's over the long term, we're losing. Yeah, you're you're business. selling more of your business, right? We're selling more of business. Yeah. Actually, in our perception, we were literally going to become employees. Employees, pretty much. Yeah. So what, what sources of capital were you talking to at this, at this point in time? Um, we were talking to VC, some local, VC. local VCs. Okay. Some local VCs. Mm. Actually, one of them is a foreign VC that's coming into a local VC space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so the other guys we were talking to were some PE firms. Okay. So, but the PE firms wanted us to have a higher revenue. Right. So the PE firms were looking at us. North of. Exactly. They're saying in about three years, where the revenue that we're projecting to have in three years, that's, that's when we should start yeah. talking to them. Wow. So for that, we took a pause. Mm-hmm. For the VCs, the challenge was lose control. Right. Yeah. So, so this is quite unusual because, you know, barrier my experience is um, things have changed quite a bit uh, because it's always a question of the cost of money and control those are two different yeah. things right obviously um, how much you're selling for the bit how much you're selling of your business yeah. and how much control you're giving away in terms yeah. of the, the, the term sheet and all that but <clears throat> the fact that they wanted control of your business and it was already kind of cash flow positive, mm-hmm. that seems quite odd to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it seem odd to you or what? how do you assess the situation? Mm-hmm. I, what I can say is from the methodology that they're using to value the business and the amount of capital that they're bringing in and also the intention of the type of business that they wanted was that they needed to have 50 plus one regardless. So. If you're asking for less capital, would want to give us more capital, get 50 plus one. So their intention was control. The intention was control. First. Yes. Right. Uh, and not the opportunity potential. I mean, that was secondary in a sense, yes, to, yes, to some extent. Yes. It didn't matter what, how awesome the opportunity was. Yes. We need control. Yes. Need That's for one of them. Okay. Yeah. It's just for one of them. Okay. For was that the local or the international coming the in? The international coming in. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think part of the strategy they needed to have control, whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, for the local ones, after our experience with that, we just decided to take a pause yeah, and think about, can we have alternate sources of funding? So um, this is when we started exploring debt 
and we realize with our cash flows and everything, we can actually access debt for debt is debt is yeah, great capital. Actually. We can access debt for the amount that we want. So right. um, the reason we had thought about equity is because we didn't want to be paying an amount every month. Right. But you realize that debt is actually not that expensive right. if you're able to afford it. Right. So um, in a sense, we just didn't have the financial capacity to know. The sophistication to actually do the projections to do the projections and, and yeah, yeah you just don't know it's yeah like, I mean, to tell like this is the right source of funding we just didn't know how to tell which source of funding to need right right yeah right, right. wow okay so you're, you're currently now going into a fund, you're still in fundraising mode yes. for the hospital that you're yes. looking to uh to to set up and just give the audience a sense of your current operations right now you're seeing 60 patients a day mm -hmm. um i mean how do you how do you measure the value of a hospital, the scale of a hospital? Maybe give us a framework for us to think about, uh -huh. you know, where you are and your, what your operations look like. How many, okay. how many doctors, I guess, okay. 60 patients, okay. give us a sense of what this is. Okay, so like I said, we started out, we had four employees, um, a nurse was basically nurse, pharmacist, Receptionist, EGC, <laughs> total everybody was poor. I get she, she may have drawn the line. I'm not cooking Gilberry, man. I'm not drawing, <laughs> I do everything else, but I'm not cooking Gilberry. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now things are a bit better. We're about uh, 25 employees. Okay. We have two permanently hired doctors working there. Um, we have, um, in terms of services, let's say we have a general medical practitioner, a pharmacy a lab service, a dental service, um, imaging service where you get an ultrasound, um, theater, optical services. Wow. Mm. Yeah, so uh, we Full have- fledged I mean, the whole yes, thing? the whole thing. We have pretty much grown, and now we wanna set up within the same facility, a short stay unit for um, daycare surgery. So in terms of, um, the revenue that we had at the start, basically we've been doubling our revenues every every year, so wow. 100%, 100% from the start till now. Yeah, so um, I can say that it, it's a challenge when you start um, and you often don't think you'll get to whatever survive. vision. Whatever vision you would survive you to see the vision. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> you get so caught up and you get caught up in firefighting they, they, you they, have they, this oh. and you don't have this and um, at this point maybe something breaks down and you haven't thought about how you're going to repair that or you don't have the money to repair that or somebody has your money and they haven't paid you and you get caught up in firefighting and a lot of times you lose track of what is a greater vision you're right. trying to achieve right. and you stop becoming strategic and end up being very tactical and reactive yeah. so yeah. for us um, it's been largely trying to find the balance between uh, being tactical and operational and figuring out our strategy and working towards achieving the strategy mm -hmm. and how to fund the whole process, yeah. how to fund the operations, how to fund the strategy. And the other challenge we had is in terms of management. How do you manage this whole thing? Mm -hmm. Can you manage it part-time? Do you have to be there? Mm -hmm. At what point do you commit to being in the full business? Full-time, yeah. 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 So for me, I actually came in full-time just from January. Mm -hmm. Rest of the time I was still part-time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, part of that was partly because the business couldn't afford, afford it. Yeah. Second, fears. You just, 
have fears. You're like that yeah. very much. I think it's And in the medical space, it's a lot more difficult because I'm looking at my peers. Guys have gone back to school to specialize to become uh, maybe a surgeon, a physician, and I'm still grinding, grinding. Still at the same still, level of qualification. Still at the same level of qualification. I don't have any new papers yeah. to assign to my been, name. So that, that, that will put pressure on you psychologically. It puts some pressure. Right. And you feel like you're falling back. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I had, Talk about it. Yeah. I had, um, before this happened, I had um, applied to school, gone to school, gotten a scholarship to go to school, and I had to drop that. Like, I had a full right to be in school for the next four years and come out as a surgeon. And I was like, in four years, uh, if I look back, would this have been the best what decision it, I made? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, probably that can wait. Mm, mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, man, this is this is awesome because this is true entrepreneurship. The decisions and the struggles that you have to make, and just kind of on the razor's edge, right? Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, and yeah. so I guess you know, looking. Evaluating, and I think you've covered a lot of these things. Because one of the questions I was going to ask is, looking back, what are some some of the things you do different mm-hmm. if you are starting today? Mm-hmm. Maybe if you could just rattle them out, you know, what are the things you would do different? Um, looking back, if if I could, first, I'm glad I don't have the knowledge I have. Some of the knowledge I have now, if I knew that I'd be doing for six months, <laughs> you don't be doing this. <laughs> I don't be doing this. <laughs> However. Um, Looking back, some of the things that I have realized, the two main things that I've realized I wish I knew was, first, you need a lot of information. And second, you'll never have 100% of information. But your job as an entrepreneur is to realize you need 100% information and you'll never get to 100%, but how can you get as close to 100% information as you can? Mm. So for example, for us with the insurances, if we had known that we need to have a system of delivering claims to the insurances, then we would, have, we would not have made some losses that we made. Mm-hmm. If we had known that we needed to get accreditation before we start, then we didn't have six months of downtime mm-hmm. without seeing these patients. Mm-hmm. So just realizing what are the key information points that you need to have, mm-hmm. who has that information, mm-hmm. and talking a lot more to a lot more people, because we were hardly talking to other people. Wow. Yeah, so wow. You, you... And why was that? Were you just assuming it would be... Yeah, because I think or? it's it's easy. Um, you've seen other places started up, and you think you have all the information, and you think you have the best business idea, which you don't want to share with anybody. Ah, else. that's the right? one. That's the one. <laughs> this is my secret. So, this is my secret. Um, are going to do it a lot better than everybody else. They don't want to talk to people and exchanging ideas, but those fears are basically really unfounded. They are baseless. Yeah, they're unfounded. Yeah. yeah. So. I wish we had talked a bit more to other people, other people. and yeah. found out their challenges, things that we can do better, things that we can avoid. Okay. Um, just gaining information mm-hmm. from a wide variety of places. Awesome. Um, yeah. Second is I hadn't realized the issue of misalignment, misalignment with um, how we measure our performance. As co-founders? As, as a... co-founders. Okay whether we all have the same goal, mm-hmm. whether we want to achieve the same goal in one year, we want to achieve it in seven years, because some people are more short term mm. and some of us are more long term. Mm. So just realizing what is a key motivator behind each stakeholder we have 
and whether we are aligned. aligned. That's a I wish huge, I knew that. Right? Yeah, yeah, man, that's a yeah. big thing. I see that a lot. Um, and there's a book called Founder's Dilemma. I don't know if you, mm-hmm. you've read that. I haven't read it, but it, it's on my list. It's, it's, of books. it's a bit late, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a big one across yeah. all entrepreneurship yeah. uh, ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I see that well, it, it, it kills more businesses than, mm-hmm. than you, we would even know. Because mm-hmm. I, almost every entrepreneur I've talked to locally has this problem, right? Mm-hmm. You have people who have a director role and they're not in the business. They're not yeah. spending time True. building the company. And True. so that creates all this misalignment, if you will, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and, and things go down because of those things a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so talk a little bit about, um, I guess, you know, what advice would you give to an emerging entrepreneur, folks who are looking to actually do something, start something? Yeah. What are some of the things around alignment that you would suggest that they consider or look into? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we hadn't thought about when we started the business is we started it five co-founders and the intention was each of us to put in the same amount of sweat equity, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, but as soon as we started out, one of the co-founders had an opportunity to go back to school, same one they had, but they chose to go back to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the rest of us stayed in the business and put in this sweat equity, but we hadn't thought about what that should do in terms of compensation because right. you're putting in equity and not, you're not getting paid. Right. Yeah. So how is that being remunerated? Right. We hadn't thought about that at all. Mm-hmm. And we started having this conversation later on, um, three years down the line. I wish we had thought about it then and sorted it out then because it's much easier to have the conversation when you start right. rather than at the end. Yes. So yes. Um, a lot of times you start business with friends and you're just thinking with friends, you're always going to agree on stuff. But you don't always agree and no. you get to a point where um, you really need to have equitable distribution of um, shares or money according to how much time and effort, time and effort you put, into, you put the into the business. Yeah. So, and the business is not about money. A lot of times people think that, especially on the founding side, yeah. here locally I've seen people assume that Money is the whole story. It's mm-hmm. actually the building of the thing. Yeah. That's where most of the yes. that's where all the value generally yes. most of the value lies, yes. especially in the early stages, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because um, like in the early stages, you're not able to pay, and there are a lot of struggles that go and sacrifices, yes. and opportunity costs that, yes. that happen at the start. Right. All the value is kind of you can't really function. even put a monetary value. You can't. It. Yeah. And this is something that I think every business needs to consider, that you will not always put in equal effort. And you need to figure that out and agree that you know that you put in equal effort and how can this be compensated right. and have just an agreement speaking to that when you start. Right. I think that for me, if I was to start any other business, has to be the first thing you do. While you're opening and a company, a huge deal. Yeah, you just yeah. have to do that, put it down on paper. This is what happens. Right. right. Based on time put in, time Based on investing. time, effort, not just money. Right. Yeah, because right. we thought about capital as just the, the money we're putting in. Right. It's never just money. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, I've not had anybody on the podcast who's talked about this as eloquently as you have, and mm-hmm. it's such a, such, a, such a big deal. And yeah, I mean, yeah, so I appreciate that. So the other thing too is in terms of, you know, you've touched on this a little bit, talking to more people. So in terms of advisors and maybe your, your 
your company culture and, and organization culture? Because it's always about people, right? Uh -huh. So in terms of advisors, do you have an advisory board now? And uh -huh. maybe talk a little bit about that. In terms of advice, you don't yet have an advisory board, but I'd have to say Stanford and Stanford Seed has quite has helped, helped us a lot. Because mm -hmm. we have a coach kindly from Stanford who's <clears throat> helping us um, with our strategic plan as well as with our governance. Mm -hmm. So we're still trying to figure out. Um, we finished with our shareholders agreement. Um, we're working out a board charter just to guide what are the roles, responsibilities of the board, what are the liabilities of the board, because most of the times guys just want to be a board or a member, director. But no, no. <laughs> they don't realize it has its own liabilities, it has its risks. Right. You just look at the good part, right. but it has risks and liabilities and responsibilities that uh, you're accountable for. But, right. but we have a lot of companies with directors who basically don't do anything, mm -hmm. right? So you need to have a framework that guides that. Mm -hmm. what, is your actual job as a director mm -hmm. yeah and what are your risks mm -hmm. of being the director of a company and might you want to give that up right yeah so we have people in jobs that or in roles that they actually bring in something right. to it right yeah so um that is where we are currently figuring out uh figuring that out doing a framework and a structure for it and um realizing that we may need because kindly we are um, the shareholders are still 100% the directors. We don't have independent directors. And we're thinking it's, it's our time that we need to have somebody independent. Right, yeah. right, right. And then let's talk about you know, your team, you know, hiring, recruiting, that talent pool, right? Mm -hmm. um, what would you talk about? What, what are some of the lessons you've learned there? Or what's that look like for you guys? Okay, I'd say lesson number one is that papers are useless. Papers, papers, are papers are useless. Like looking at somebody's degree and um, having like an honors or whatever it is, it, it's not really that helpful. What we have come to learn is that the best employees are just self-driven and willing to learn. And that's not on any qualification. And anyway. you can't see it on paper. We had like an employee who we had off papers and an interview which they did excellent. But coming to the work area, like they couldn't work with anyone. Like getting them to be part of a team is difficult. And we just have to think like, really, what are we actually looking for? So we try to focus more on hiring on values. We try, initially, how we used to hire is that we put out an ad and wait for say it. two weeks <laughs> and get a hundred applicants and then from there start trimming. But with that, we realize we are having sort of a FOMO. Mm -hmm. We just have a fear of missing out on a really good applicant. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're doing that. So we changed our hiring process to, if we have a job open, we advertise still. But once we start getting applications, once we get the first one that has the bare minimum that we want, we just call in for an interview. So we do interviews on a rolling basis. Okay. And as soon as we get somebody who fits, that's close it. it. Okay. Close it. Right. Instead of waiting to have a pool of a hundred people, and then from that a hundred people try to okay. select who the top, because you'd end up now looking at things like what is the highest grade. Uh, the highest you need a, you need a means to triage that. Exactly. Exactly. Now. And it's a false signal. I it's mean, a false you signal. Path, yeah. It could be a false signal. Mm. So now with this type of interviews, because you're doing interviews constantly, mm. you're able to like really get to know what is it that you want mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. as soon as you have the minimum that fits that 
you have a person you can put there and during the probation and see whether they fit. Yes. If they don't fit, get some more else. practical operational in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? Because it's getting you you're actually dealing with this other qualitative element. True. That right? you don't see on that paper. You don't see on paper. And also it saves you time. Yeah. Because we'd have to wait like a month in right. order to get applicants. Yeah. Right now, and uh, we could put an ad today and it could be filled tomorrow. And then you start but the process. Yeah, you start the process. Awesome. Yeah. So you even your your filling of roles time is filled. Time is shorter. Shorter. It's yeah. it's yeah. Time to a new thing we've started and so far so good. Right. Okay. So far so good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, so in terms of just the other thing too that uh, you know, Impact Africa Network, you know, our values of performance, integrity, and collaboration, uh, mm-hmm. and high levels of those. So, uh, you know, I the questions I have for you is around what what is your assessment of uh, our cultural relationship with work along those dimensions, right? Performance, mm-hmm. integrity, and collaboration. Maybe in healthcare it's a little different, mm-hmm. but how would you assess our workforce in uh-huh. general across those dimensions? Are we a high performance culture? In, I think, or maybe it's Let's start with, yeah. are we a high performance culture, high integrity culture, high collaboration culture? Um, I think we are all of those ones, but what I've come to learn about Kenyans is that depending on where they're put, they will have high integrity or low integrity. Interesting. Depending on the organization they're in. Yeah. So um, I don't know, we are, we are very... Uh, malleable. Doctor, I call it Dr. Jerko and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> exactly. It all depends True. on True. when, the time of day, man. The same exact Kenyan <laughs> who would be skipping lights in Kenya, you put him in another country, they're following all the lights. Yeah, mm. that speaks to the type of integrity you have. Like it's dependent on where people are. So for me, what I've come to it's see. It's conditional integrity? It's very conditional. It's very conditional. I don't know how that's, that's called no integrity. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very low integrity. Yeah. It's very low integrity. However, um, in terms of the same thing, integrity, performance, um, collaboration, yeah. collaboration. In our organization, we try to push people to be collaborative, um, to stick to, to be trustworthy and credible. And what we have come to find out is that based on their past experience where they worked, it determines how trustworthy they are, mm. depending on the first job mm. or where they're in school. Mm. So it's so like, it's, wow, this is interesting. So you're saying that a person's values will depend on their exposure to the world of work? Yeah, yeah. That is, that is what we've come to learn. Because yeah. you find that in school, especially Kenyan schools, we don't do a lot of group projects, a right. lot of collaboration. So the first place you get exposed to collaboration is your first workplace. Okay. So if you're in a workplace where everybody is in it for themselves, then you become less collaborative. Right. If you're in a workplace where everybody is sort of a team, then depending on where you're from, you'd be apprehensive and be like, what's going what's on? What's going on? Right? What's going on? Right? <laughs> 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 then um, come to integrity. Um, depending also where somebody has been, like if you're in a school where everybody cheats during the exams and now you're coming to a workplace where they're telling you you need you to be honest, even honest with yourself on your performance, how you're performing. And a lot of people are not even honest with themselves. They mm. think that they're being dishonest with everybody else, but you're being dishonest with yourself. Mm. Like you're putting yourself as maybe thinking you're the best employee, 
but what is that based on? Mm. What is, um, for example, um, when it comes to healthcare, it's very sensitive in terms of um, releasing the correct results to a patient or just doing a full examination on a patient and arriving at the best diagnosis of the information that you have. And this is all about integrity because if you skip a certain test or if you don't measure a certain thing, then you might come up with a to totally different diagnosis. But when it comes to the school and the education system, sometimes you're just doing these things to get a grade. Mm. And it's a means to an end. It's not like running. it's not like. And your first job is in a government hospital where you're completely stressed, short of resources, and at that time you're just trying to survive. Right. Yeah. And now you're brought to a setup where you might have a bit more resources, mm. but still yeah, that you're used to this other mentality that we're short of resources. There's too much work. I need to try and figure out. An innovative shortcut. <laughs> to get we love shortcuts. We love shortcuts. Get this job done, right? <laughs> so it influences how people think, how right. they are. Right. You might right. not realize it. Right. But it takes. A, we take a lot of time to try and reshape people into what we want them to be. Mm. And usually by six months, which is our probation period, we'll mm. know whether this person so we'll is make it able to go in the track that we want, or if they won't be. Awesome. So. Yeah. As we wrap up here, just a couple of final things. What is the future for Imara Medi Plus? Where are you guys going? What's the future look like? Um, what we want to achieve first is um, an integrated healthcare system. Where a what? Sorry? Integrated healthcare integrated. system okay. where mm -hmm. we're able to provide services um, throughout the chain. So uh, we do a lot of, um, what, do we, what do I call it? Sort of modified healthcare insurance where we're talking to schools and small-scale employers um, and we're able to get them on a managed healthcare scheme oh. where they don't need to have insurance but we can treat their people, their students and they can pay us later okay. so they have access to healthcare when they need it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're also in increasing access to things like NHIF which is very low cost and expensive for people who give a certain quality of healthcare. So we're trying to figure out how can we still provide high quality of healthcare to this low cost insurance schemes. That is one of the challenges we're trying to address because awesome. our whole goal is to provide quality access um, to people living outside of major towns. Right. So outside of Nairobi, outside of Kisumu, outside of Mombasa, that's our focus. We're not seeing ourselves coming to Nairobi, mm. right? And we believe that everybody deserves high quality healthcare. What's the opportunity? How can I like? achieve that without a low budget? What's the opportunity like today for that type of? Because like our area is Mount Kenya. We're focusing on Kenya. Mount Kenya has a population of 10 million. Wow. Yeah. So it's a huge opportunity. Right. Counties are everywhere. Mm -hmm. So in counties, you find um, they're piloting universal um, healthcare coverage. So there is huge opportunity outside mm -hmm. of Nairobi. Essentially, mm -hmm. healthcare, we have 40 million Kenyans. Of the 40 million Kenyans, how many are in Nairobi, how many are in Kisumu, mm -hmm. how many are in Mombasa? So majority of people are not there. Right. Yeah, over 70% right. of the population is still in Mashinani and the smaller towns. Mm -hmm. So um, we want to give them something that when they come to Nairobi, they say, I wish you guys were here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd rather instead of what we have right now is a lot of people coming from Mashinani and coming to Nairobi Hospital. You want the opposite to happen, you'd go to the hospital and say, no, let me come to 
Imari Nepo. Wow, that's ambitious. Yeah. As soon as that happens, we know we'd have, we'd have achieved our vision. That's that's great. So the next thing you, you're building is is you're, you're going to expand to a full fledged hospital. Yes. Uh, what what's the scope? Um, we have a focus in terms of the services and specialties we want to offer. Um, our focus is on maternal care, children, and surgery because okay. we feel that's where the largest gap exists. Okay. Like um, a dire statistic is um, one in every twenty six kids under the age of five in Kenya dies. Right? They don't get to see their fifth birthday. Mm. We figure that that shouldn't happen. Mm. Like we should be able to reverse that statistic. When it comes to maternal care, it's even worse. Yeah. So um, we don't think any mother should die delivering a baby. We don't believe any baby should not live past the age of five if it's something that can be cured. Because most of the time, it's just diarrheal disease or a chest infection. Wow, yeah. Yeah. something that, that can curable, be treated. Yeah, that can be treated. Yeah. And that's what we want to focus on, giving access to things that we feel would be able to have the highest impact in our community. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man, so any padding shots, you know, I guess before we even let you go, you know, we, my whole thing, our whole thing is the future of Silicon Savannah. Um, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think about it also just the broader Kenyan business landscape, right? Mm -hmm. And it's inter, it's, intersectionality with technology to allow yeah. us to be able to kind of yeah. do more things better and yeah. kind of be the, 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 the leading, I guess I call it the high, uh, the high watermark of talent and, 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 and outcomes in terms of building awesome, scalable, yeah. amazing companies that, yeah. that transform lives. Right? Yeah. And I think, I, think, I, I think we have the potential to do that yeah. on a regional level. So what's your... Uh, Forecast of where we are going as a broader kind of business community. What's the potential here? Okay, uh, for me, I'd say fast healthcare has a bit of a paradox in terms of tech and healthcare because healthcare is very traditional. Healthcare, how it's delivered, hasn't changed. Mm. Yet, tech um, healthcare has like the highest levels of new technology coming in, um, new innovation. Like you have this new MRI machines, new radiology machines, and technology is always changing. However, the model of healthcare hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So what I think is an opportunity in terms of tech and innovation is 20 years from now, I think the model of healthcare needs to change. It needs to be different. The experience doesn't have to be you going and sitting down in a waiting room for an hour or two hours to see the doctor, but that can change. Something that we've experimented on um, that I think Kenya hasn't yet caught up or largely Africa um, is telemedicine. We had an app where uh, patients can access the doctor just on a WhatsApp-like platform, talk to your doctor, get new medication. But the uptake is still low. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe there's something that we're not seeing in terms of tech and healthcare, but there is a large room for innovation within the healthcare space, especially in the model of how is healthcare delivered to patients. Awesome. Yeah, listen, man, thank you so much, Thomas, for coming through great insights across the board and I'm sure the audience will love this so uh, yeah, thanks again and uh, yeah any any parting shots for the for the guests any kind of last bits of advice for an entrepreneur who's maybe thinking oh, am I crazy yeah for the last parting shot is as long as you have a need that you're addressing I think you're in the right place yeah just have a need that you're addressing and in order for you to be sustainable you have to figure out a way of monetizing how you solve the problem 
that is just the basic of having a business model. So for me, it's just two steps having a business model, have a need, and how is it monetized, period. Don't think about it too much. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Good stuff.